I want to teach you something tonight, though, about what one of the visions of Zechariah was. Turn to Zechariah 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 14 and talk about what this lampstand is, this candlestick that he sees. Because um, as if you've kept up from before, we were preaching all the way through. I know it's stop start because it's about once a month or so. But in the last one, we see that Zechariah sees Joshua the high priest. Joshua the high priest is standing in uh, clothes that are filthy. And so God says, uh, Satan is telling him, he's accusing him, and God says, no, 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 he's justified before me, and he has angels change his clothes. And he's a representative of the whole of the nation. So the nation has been cleansed through this mediator. And he says, "If um, if you keep my commandments, you will have access into heaven you'll be able to judge the angels, right? So this is talking about what's going to happen with the new covenant. This is talking about when the new creation comes to pass. And so that's what these visions are about. And it's the real world thing that's happening at the time is the people in Judea or in Judah don't want to rebuild the temple. And so the prophets Haggai and Zechariah are pushing them along to build the temple. Now in Ezra 5, they did start building it, but then they quit because of persecution and so on. And they've been back from their slavery for about 20 years. So he starts having these visions in the 24th day of the 11th month of the second year of Darius. We read that in chapter 1, verse 7. He starts having these visions, and an angel starts coming to him and then interpreting the visions that are going on. So the last one, he sees the foundation laid. There's a stone with seven eyes. And so I want you to remind you the way we see this is the same way that John... Is seeing things in the book of Revelation. It's just they're inverted, right? So Zechariah is seeing things that are happening in heaven that will affect the earth, whereas John is seeing things that already happened on earth that are actually affecting heaven. So Zechariah sees a stone with seven eyes. That stone would be laid and it would be the foundation of what would become the new temple, that is the church. The stone with seven eyes, the seven eyes of the seven spirits of God. John sees a lamb that was slain with seven eyes in heaven. That is, the lamb was on earth. He was killed. He was sacrificed. He rose from the dead. He ascended back into heaven. So he sees something on earth that is now affecting heaven because Jesus led captivity captive from where they were. So he has changed heaven and he's changed the order of heaven. Man now has the ability to judge angels. Man has the access to heaven that he did not have before. So... Zechariah is seeing things that will happen on earth. He sees them occurring already in heaven. Whereas John sees things that already happened on earth and he sees them how they affect heaven. So we end up with war in heaven. And so what we see now is just what we started to see in Revelation 4. We start seeing this lampstand that is before the throne of God. That it says these are the seven eyes of God. These are the seven spirits that go through all the earth. Zechariah sees the same thing also in chapter 4. That's just coincidental. But go ahead and stand, and we're going to talk about what the lampstand is and what the two olive trees that stand by the lampstand are. Uh, He says this, And the angel that talked with me came again, and he waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep. And he said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl on top of it, and seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are on the top thereof. And the two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, one upon the left side. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? 
And then the angel that talked with me said, Knowest not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. And then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel has laid the foundation of this house. His hands also shall finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. For who has despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro throughout the earth. And then answered I and said, uh, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side? And I answered again and said, What be these two olive branches which through the two golden pipes emptied the golden oil out of themselves. And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. And then he said, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Father, uh, thank you for this time that we have. I pray that we can understand the difficulties of your prophecy, how they affected those people back then, how they affect us now, and how it'll affect us in the future. I pray that uh, you'll give us spiritual insight into what these words and these prophecies are. Fill this place with the Holy Spirit this evening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And sit down. Okay, so you see that he sees a lampstand. Now this lampstand is the lampstand that Moses saw on the mountain. This is the lampstand that was made and then all of gold and was put into the tabernacle. This is the lampstand that David saw and was given as a uh, point of reference for Solomon to make. Now the difference in Solomon's temple was Solomon had ten lampstands. He had five on each side, whereas Moses just had the one that you walked in and it would be on the, on the right side. The table would be on the left side when you walked in. So east, west, north, south. So the, the, the lamp would be on the north. So that is what he is seeing. The difference is, is that during those times, the priest would always have to go in and continually put oil into the lamp. Now, the difference what, uh, between that and what Zechariah is seeing is there are no priests. He is seeing a bowl, and he's seeing two trees by the lampstand, and they are pumping oil into the bowl, and the bowl has seven pipes coming from it, and they are going into the seven lamps. Now, if you've all seen a menorah, I imagine most of you have seen a menorah. Uh, it's the, you know, the lampstand, and then it has three on each side of it. So there's six, and then there's the one in the middle of that seven. Right, So there are, there are pipes that are coming from this bowl into it that are pumping oil into it. That is, there is no uh, actual priest or manual labor that's going on with regards to doing this. The Lord himself is doing this. And so what's interesting is, is that Zechariah then says, what are the two olive trees? Because he knows what a lampstand is because that's very prominent within uh, the Israelite tradition with regards to the tabernacle and the temple. He says, what are these things beside it? The angel doesn't answer him. The angel decides to tell him what the meaning of the, of the actual vision is rather than tell him what the lampstand is, uh, what the two trees are. So he says, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, not by might nor by uh, power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Now the word might there has the notion of hosts, like an army, right? And the word power there has to do with individual personal strength. That's what those words mean in the Hebrew. So he's saying it will not be by human power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit that the temple will be able to be built. Now, that was the whole point of what he was trying to get them to build the temple. And there is this light that is burning out. 
that is going to show them the way with regards to what they're supposed to do. Now, there's two ways in which this is literally fulfilled. One is that Zerubbabel did lay the foundation, and he did actually lay in the uh, headstone at the end of it. He actually did finish and build this temple. We find that in Ezra, uh, Ezra 5. But in another way, he also was the builder of the temple, which is Christ. Now, I want you to go to Matthew 1. Because from the time of the uh, return of the exiles, uh, the seed of David was Zerubbabel. And from the time of the exile on, both of the genealogies of both Joseph and Mary meet in Zerubbabel. So he actually, you know, he is the progenitor of both of these people here. So in Matthew 1, 12 and 13, it says, After they were brought... To Babylon, Jeconiah begat Salathiel, Salathiel begat Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begat Abiud. Now, by the time we end to that, we get, in verse 16, we get Jesus Christ. Now, uh, a side note, because the genealogies are so weird if you study them, uh, Salathiel is not actually Zerubbabel's father. Padiah is his father, according to 1 Chronicles 3.19. Salathiel is actually his uncle. They're both, they're all descendants of Jeconiah, but... Um, it has to do with if the, the, the spiritual lineage as much as the physical lineage. But if you go to Luke 3, you'll find a completely different... Um, in Luke 3, 27, you'll find a completely different genealogy. And that actually starts with Jesus and goes all the way back to Adam. Matthew's goes from Abraham to Jesus. Luke's goes from Jesus back to Adam. And, it, and here it says, uh, The son of Joanna, which was the son of Risa, which was the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Salathiel, the son of Neri. Now, that means that Zerubbabel, from the time of the return, actually was the one who brought forth the two lines of Mary and Joseph who ended up bringing forth the Messiah, right? So, uh, Mary came from Nathan, who was the son of David. Joseph came from Solomon, who was the son of David, Solomon being the king. And so, Jesus is the king. He is also a son of David. He is a son of Zerubbabel. And what Zerubbabel's name is, Zerub means the seed of. Babel, obviously, we know that to be as Babylon. He was born in Babylon. Now, what the word means is it's two, wor- it's two ways because they just have interesting names. The way they, they do everything is interesting. Babel means confusion. But Babel means the gate or the door of the gods. So one of the reasons why you find temples and beautiful things built in Babylon is because they believe it's a doorway to God. So it, the, the idea of seed also has to do with being grafted in. So his name means uh, the son, the seed of, or one grafted into confusion because he was born during the time of the uh, enslavement and the exile into Babylon. But it also means that he is a gate to God. Now we know in John 10, Jesus calls himself the gate or the door. He is the only way to the Father. So in a sense, Zerubbabel was someone of confusion because he was born in Babylon, but he is also the door, the one who brought forth the one who was the door to God, which is Jesus. So that's just an interesting side note. I thought that was very interesting. That by the, the power of the Holy Spirit, the Messiah was brought forth through this man, Zerubbabel. So he's very important. He's the son of David. He is ultimately someone who is a father of Christ in uh, the fleshly sense, so to speak. 
So he says, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his house shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord hath sent me unto you. Right? So in other words, he's saying the Lord is going to be sent on the basis of this. So what we want to talk about is, what is this lampstand then? Because you have the laying of the foundation and the ability to have access because of the justification that would be brought about by God in the new covenant. Right? That was promised in Jeremiah 31. So he's reclothed Joshua. And he says, I'm going to bring forth the branch. And the branch has to be someone from the line of David. The branch, that, we, we know that from Jeremiah 23, 6 and Isaiah 11, 1 through 2. They will come through Zerubbabel. That, that is what the promise of this is supposed to be. But the way that we are supposed to live then is dictated by what the lampstand is. The lampstand is that which gives light. And there are three aspects or three ways in which light is described through the one who is the light of the world. The light of the world, John 8, 12, is who? Obviously, that's Jesus, right? We're all assuming that. I hope you all know that. Jesus is the light of the world. So there's three ways that light is described. I'm going to go to John 1. Most of you should know John 1, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But it carries on from there. It says this in verse 3, all things were made by him and without him, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So, number one, light is life. There's two aspects of life, but you have to understand the point of the incarnation, right? When it has to do with the new creation, when God made everything. In the beginning, he said then, you know, in the beginning, he made the, the heavens and the earth. But then he said, let there be light. So the first thing that was created that would be visible to us would be light, The last thing he created was man. Everything in between was all of creation. And there's supposed to be a point of contact between us and light. Because light, like I said this morning, light is not something that we look at. We don't know, light has a single source, but we don't know what light is. Light is important to us because it shows us everything else that is. Right? That that old C.S. Lewis, we know what the sun is because of everything the sun shows us. Light shows us everything. Light was supposed to reveal the totality of creation to man. But because of sin, we now have darkness. Men love darkness. And so the understanding of what creation was supposed to be, the use of it, uh, our connection to the principalities and powers above, the angels, all of that got uh, disoriented. It all got messed up. And so the point of the coming of the Messiah was not just to save us from our sins, it was also to direct our lives in the appropriate way with regards to what he made us for. So he says that if you believe in him, he will give you eternal life. The whole reason why he gives you eternal life, and he brings that up in John 1 and then later in John 5, the reason why he wants to give you eternal life is because man was not meant to die. Man was not meant to see darkness. We were not meant to sleep, so to speak. We weren't meant to do that. We were meant to be in light all of our lives. We were meant to dwell in the presence of God. But because of our sin... We have, uh, we, well, it was necessary that we die, but he said, if you eat the fruit, you're going to die. So we brought ourselves into darkness. So there's the idea of eternal life. The second aspect of what life is, he also says that he will give us abundant life because he says you can enter into the door or the gate and you can go in and out of the pastures. He talks about this with regards to him being the good shepherd in John 10. He tries to explain that we are supposed to now walk as children of light. Paul teaches this in Ephesians 5, 8 through 9. 
that because he has transformed us, because we have seen the light, who he is, we now have a duty and we have the ability and the power through the power of the Holy Spirit to live according to the law of Christ, the law of liberty, the way that he has directed us to do. As he says in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, right? And that will then bring us to the next point. What is light? Light brings life. Light also brings love. Love then is sacrificial and has to directly come from light. Now, in the Beatitudes, in Matthew 5, Jesus tells us that we now are, in fact, the light of the world. That is because of the sacrificial love of Christ, he gave himself for us so we could be like him. So he being the light of the world, right, he's come, he's lived his perfect life, he's fulfilled the law, he's died, he's ascended into heaven, he's now sent up the Holy Spirit to us so that we can now be the light of the world. We are his ambassadors. So he says in Matthew five fourteen, you are the light of the world, you are a city that is set on a hill and it cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. So let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. So if we have light within us, which is the divine light, the light of Jesus Christ, we will then love even unto our enemies. So later on in chapter 5, he says, you've heard it, that it says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Why do we want to do that? So that we may be the children of our Father which is in heaven. Now the whole point of receiving Jesus so that, is so that we can receive the power to become the children of God. That's what John 1, 12 tells us. So we want to be our children, our children of the Father which is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the good and the evil. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans do the same. And if you salute your brethren only, what do you have more than others? Do not even publicans do this. Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So light uh, directly leads us to sacrificial love. So it gives us life. It gives us love. It allows us to love others and love as Christ loved. The third thing is it gives us logos. And this is a harder concept because when we think about logos... Jesus being the light of the world, he's also the Logos. Now, we tend to say word, but the Greek is not really word in the sense that we think of word, because when when you tell somebody this is a word, you think of letters and stuff like that. But what in the Greek is, the Logos is that which holds things together. It is a particular order of the way the world is supposed to work. God made everything through Jesus. The whole order of creation was made Through him, it was made by him, and it is actually held together by his own power. Now, what that actually means, I don't fully know, because that's a wild concept that there is a person holding everything together by his own power. But that's what it says in Hebrews 1.3. And this was understood as what the Logos was. You can read this in Colossians 1.15 through 17 as well. But he now says that he is the head of the church in Colossians 1.18, which means that we are in him. He is eternity on earth, which means we are functioning within something that is eternal while we're in time. Now, that's a very bizarre thing, but I want you to see what that means for us in Ephesians 3. Go to Ephesians 3 because I I don't know if many of you will believe it if I said it. In Ephesians 3, I'm uh, going to read 8 through 9 here. Paul is talking about a mystery. 
that is hidden within the church itself, right? This has to do what I was talking about. The union of light and man is found in Jesus Christ that gives us an understanding of everything that was created in between. This is what he says. He says, unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's us, by the way. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world has been hidden God who created all things by Jesus Christ. Now, this is what the intent of it was in verse 10. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Now, what that is saying is that the angels, the principalities and powers in heaven, learn the manifold wisdom from us. Why do they learn it from us? Because they're not eternal. We are functioning within an eternal being, Jesus Christ, the Logos. You see, when the incarnation came, when he died and he rose again, man was was made a little bit under the angels. That's what it says in Psalm 8. But when Jesus, who was man and God, died, rose again, ascended into heaven, he changed the order. He reoriented all of the created order as it was meant to be. He united light and man back together. See, light and man are the two points of creation. And that is what the the lampstand is supposed to show us. It shows us the fullness of the mystery of God. And it's something that is kind of, it blows my mind. When I think of it, that's why it says it's unsearchable, because it's something that we really can't comprehend. But when we meet together, this is so important why we come to church. When we meet together, we are teaching the angels the manifold wisdom of God. The manifold means the various wisdoms of God. We're teaching angels about redemption. They know something about creation. They don't know about redemption because they can't be redeemed. Right? Now, we know a little bit about redemption. We should anyways if you've been saved. But we don't know a lot about creation. What we know is what we have in the Word. We are teaching them something that they have no access to. We are teaching beings that were made above us because we now are in the heavenly places, because we are in Christ. And that is what the light is all about. The light gives us life. The light allows us to love. And the light places us within the Logos. And that is what he's promising Zerubbabel here. He's saying that you are the gate of the gods. Through you, the temple will be built. John 2, 18 through 22, Jesus says, destroy me, and in three days, I will rebuild it. And they said he was talking about the temple of his body, and they didn't know what he was talking about. He is the temple, and the church now is the living stones that he is building the temple of. Think about all the way to the end. Now, this goes from the beginning of creation all the way to the end of creation. When we see the tree of life, the tree of life is in a garden. Where do we see the tree of life when we go to Revelation 21 and 22? It's by the river, but it's in a city. He's built. He's progressed. We're not in garden anymore. There's no, there, we, we're not in a place with trees and stuff. People aren't naked, right? People are in clothes. There's stones. There are wondrous stones. There's a sea of uh, glass. There's, a, a, what is it, the road of gold? What do they call it? What do they call it? It's a road of gold, right? Streets of gold, sorry. It's a street of gold, sorry. I couldn't get, quite get the word, right? It's a street of gold. Adam was not walking on a street of gold. Things have progressed, right? The incarnation has changed things. It has changed the order. And so we find in light, we find life, we find love, and we find the logos. And all of those things have to do with how we function now. It also has to do with the future restoration of Israel because... All of the things that are shadows, right? And Hebrews 10 tells us all these things were shadows. 
They were shadows, but they also have an eternal purpose because they were real, right? Israel is in the new heaven and new earth, right? Even though they're now, obviously, and they were way back when, they're also eternal. The church that he has decided uh, to make within his own body, we are eternal. The bride is real, right? There is an actual bride. So these things that were that were pictures will be united in reality in eternity. So everything like that with regards to light, and that is why light is is such a beautiful illustration that God uses to show us that there's so much more that we don't know. There's so much more that he's showing us through himself, through his being, right? So life, love, logos. Now we get to the actual question that he was trying to ask because I think he got a little bit annoyed because when we get to, uh, he says he's going to build the temple. He says he's going to finish it. He says he will see the plummet in the hands of Zerubbabel. There will be seven eyes upon it. And I've already told you the seven eyes are the same eyes that were on the stone that uh, Joshua had. They're the same seven eyes that we find before the throne of God in Revelation 4. He now says, again, what are the two olive trees upon the right side and the left side? of the candlestick. And then he answered again and said, what be these two olive branches, which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves. Now there's a little bit of play on words in Hebrew. It actually doesn't say olive trees. The word is actually sons of oil. And throughout they're called gold. They're called golden sons of oil. It's a play on words because gold is poured into gold. In other words, the Holy Spirit is flowing through all of them. The Holy Spirit's flowing through the trees, the Holy Spirit's flowing through the pipes, and the Holy Spirit is flowing through the candlestick because the whole of the candlestick is also made of gold. Everything is gold in this, uh, in this vision that he's seeing here. So he wants to know, and of course the angel being as the angel is, right? And we were just talking about how we teach angels. This is why the difference in the Old and the New Testament. Throughout the, New, the Old Testament, the angels teach man. Right, so uh, Deuteronomy 33, 2, it's the angels that give Moses the law, right? And Paul talks about this in uh, Galatians three nineteen. Here, the angels, we see in Isaiah 6, and we've talked about this, I think the angels are singing about the holiness of God. Here, the angel is telling him what uh, is going on with these visions, and the angel repeatedly asks questions like, don't you know what this is? As if he should know, <laughs> right? So there are things we should know that sometimes we just don't pay attention to. But he asked, what are these things? And this is the answer. He said, these are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Now that is not particularly um, clear because we don't quite know what that means. Now, it could be because when he says that stand before the Lord, that means to serve. That is the same language that is used for Joshua in chapter three. It's the same language used for Aaron and Moses and those who stand as a mediator before God. It could be that Joshua and Zerubbabel at that time were the trees that were supposed to bring forth the light of God to the nation at the time. Uh, But there's also the prophetic aspect of it. Turn to Revelation 11. So I've already told you that the lampstand is already seen by John, right? And we know that many things that John saw, Zechariah saw previous to him, Uh, John, in Revelation 11, is going to have a vision of the two olive trees. He's going to see the sons of oil. And it's the same thing in the Greek here. They aren't two olive trees. They are called sons of oil. 
it says, And there was given me a reed, like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given to the Gentiles. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot 42 months. That would be three and a half years. And this is what the Lord says. And I will give power unto my two witnesses. And they shall prophesy 203 score days, which is also three and a half years. They will be clothed in sackcloth. Now this is where we get it from Zechariah. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. So we find that these witnesses are... Not, they are witnesses that are on earth because John the Baptist also in John 1, 5 is said to be a witness who stands before the Lord who is the light. He is a witness to the light. So you could argue that John the Baptist was one of those. And I've given a lot of, um, a lot of time to John the Baptist recently. But, and I know I talked about him this morning. But he, was, he could be a witness, right? Zerubbabel and uh, um, Joshua could be witnesses. But here, this is, these are two people who have been standing before the Lord of the whole earth. They are now sent to earth. Now what happens is they have this, they have this prophetic ministry, a ministry of judgment, um, and they end up being killed. They go throughout all the nations. They particularly work in Jerusalem. Again, they're functioning in Jerusalem just like Zechariah was. It says that their dead bodies, in verse 8, their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord also was crucified. So they're in Jerusalem, and they're killed in Jerusalem by the Antichrist, and they lay there for three and a half days. They then raise up from the dead and are called by God, and they go into a cloud and they ascend. Now we find two other people who stood before the Lord who also came down in a cloud and went up in a cloud, and that is Moses and Elijah at the Mount of Transfiguration in uh, Matthew 17, Mark 9, Luke 9. Uh, but Moses has already died. Uh, it appears he's risen from the dead because he had a glorified body. So I would venture to say that these would probably be Enoch and Elijah because Enoch and Elijah have not died. I went over this morning how Elijah was said to be sent before the great day of the Lord. Now, that could mean a lot of things because Matthew 11 says, Jesus says, if you accept his word now, then Elijah has come to you. In other words, he was talking about John the Baptist. In other words... If you accept the message of those that, that came before, then they are the people who made the message. Not in the literal sense that he was like literally the flesh and consciousness of, of Elijah, but that he preached and gave the same message as Elijah. And I talked about how he fused together the ministries of Moses and Elijah through water and fire this morning. Uh, but we see this, it could be other people, right? It could, so we don't, we don't necessarily know who it could be. I tend to think it is because they haven't died yet, but who knows? Uh, you guys probably have your own opinions of that. I think it's Enoch and Elijah. I think there's a reason why God tells us why there are two people who have not died yet. And of course, Enoch has a prophetic word that he gives us, and that is the return of the Lord with 10,000 saints. And we find this in the book of Jude. He, there actually is a whole book of Enoch. But in the book of Jude, he gives the prophecy that Enoch gives. I don't know what you, what, how you feel about the book of Enoch. So that's what the two trees are supposed to be. And they have the Holy Spirit and they're pouring their, the Holy Spirit which is in them into this lamp. And the lamp then lights the rest of the world. And so that is what the vision is supposed to be. It is supposed to tell us how we're supposed to function when the temple is built. 
right? Now in 2 Corinthians 6, 16 through 18, we are told that the temple is the church itself. We are also told that we are a temple individually. So we are our own lampstands. We are our own candlesticks. He calls the olive trees here candlesticks himself. So we are our own candlesticks. It even says, uh, Jesus says that John was a candlestick that burned brightly as a light before the world, but he was not the light of the world. But we are supposed to be as Christ, right? Now, there are seven candlesticks that end up on earth, just like there were ten for a time that were in the temple of Solomon. But ultimately, there is one because we find unity in Jesus Christ, right? That's the difference between the lamb and the dragon, right? The, the dragon has multiple heads with multiple horns on it, whereas the lamb has one head with seven horns on it, right? So it is unity, From unity comes particularity. It is not, we don't take particularity and achieve unity that way, right? We're we're top-down type of people, right? If you believe in Christ, you you believe in heaven first. Heaven dictates what happens on earth, not earth dictates what's going to happen in heaven. That's the difference between Satan and Christ. So that is what the lampstand is supposed to be. It is supposed to show us that we are supposed to have life, we are supposed to have love, and we are supposed to have the Logos. Right? And I really want you to think about that bit about those three things because particularly the Logos, the idea that we are teaching angels is special. We have a light that they don't have. Right? We have the Holy Spirit of God. We are functioning within an eternal being because we are in the resurrected God-man. That's such a wild thing to say, but we are actually inside of Him. Right? We are His heart or we are His hands, we are His feet, His eyes, whatever parts that God has decided to place us in, whatever role Westerly Hills is playing in that, that is what we are. And so we are teaching not just the world out there, which we should be teaching the world by telling them the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ and giving them life by loving them and being a witness, but we are also, we are ordering all of the rest of the world and we are giving order to the principalities and powers above us as well. That's a wild thought. 